Hi, this is Kelly Yakabuchi farquhar I'm the Montgomery County historian, and I'm going to be talking about Anne Maria Scram. She was originally an Ephrata native, then lived in Amsterdam and Fort Plain, and she served as a volunteer nurse during the Civil War. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Anna Scram was department president of the Association of Army Nurses. Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar, the Montgomery County historian, gave a talk at Schaharie Crossing State Historic Site earlier this year on this topic, on Anna Scram, and explored Montgomery County, New York's contribution to the nurses who tended the sick and wounded soldiers during the American Civil War. Tell us about Anna Scram, Kelly. She was born in the town of Ephrata, which is now Fulton County. She was born in 1834, so at that time it was part of Montgomery County. And she was the oldest child and only surviving daughter to Solomon and Sarah Bullock. Um, She had four brothers, and um, she helped to care for them. And between 1850 and 1855, her mother was widowed. And then around 1856, Anne Maria married another Ephrata native, Daniel Scram. Mm -hmm. And before 1850, the the young Scram family moved to Amsterdam. And Daniel was a stonemason. And at the outbreak of the Civil War, he volunteered and enlisted in the 32nd New York Volunteer Regiment. Did they have children? They had a young son uh, about a year after they were married, and later on after the war they did have a daughter. So they only had about two children that I know of. Now, the husband has gone off to war. Mm -hmm. What does uh, Anna Scram do? Well, she wanted to do her part. So... With the assistance of, you know, family and and friends, she was able to go down to serve as a volunteer nurse. Um, She went to Maryland, and she served at a hospital outside of Frederick, Maryland. And it was right after the Battle of Antietam and and actually the Battle of South Mountain. Um, And she helped to care for the wounded and the sick soldiers. Had she had any kind of nurse's training? Not that I'm aware of. In fact, during that time, there really was no formal training uh, for nurses. And the... Society basically had this belief that women, you know, were, especially, you know, middle class women and the wealthier classes, they tended to care for other women and their children at home. But to care for strangers and and men was really not looked upon favorably. So at that time, men actually performed nursing duties. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a shortage of men, especially because of the fighting. So women, you know, kind of rallied and, you know, wanted to to help and to, to serve their country as well. And at that time, um, in 1861, Abraham Lincoln uh, signed federal legislation that created the United States Sanitary Commission. And this commission was supposed to be a private organization basically formed to provide supplies and to help out the Union Army. And it was modeled after the British Commission that was organized during the Crimean War. 
Um, and Reverend Henry Bellows, he served as president of the commission, and Frederick Law Olmsted, the landscape architect, he served mm -hmm. as the executive secretary of the okay. commission. And, and did Anna get involved with that or get trained well, there? No, or? she was really a volunteer because at that time when the, the commission was created, um, the Army looked to Dorothea Dix, and they appointed her as the superintendent of female nurses. She actually put out a, a circular calling for women to volunteer as nurses, but uh, what she was looking for were women who were very um, matronly. They, they had very strict guidelines. You know, she didn't want women who were flashy. She wanted women who were very plain looking. They dressed very plainly. They were neat and orderly. They didn't drink, and they had, you know, moral integrity. So she didn't want women to be exploited. To my knowledge, Anne Maria was not a part of this sanitary commission. She could have been, but unfortunately I couldn't find the documentation for that. Um, mm -hmm. The women who served through the sanitary commission, they, were, um, they received compensation for about 40 cents a day, and they may have been given maybe one meal a day. But pretty much Anne Maria, she provided her own room and board. She had everything, you know, all of her expenses were paid by her. And she actually said in her later years that she provided necessities for some of the soldiers that she was caring for. You've been saying Anne Maria, and I've been saying Anna, so it must be Anne Maria is how I, we I, should refer to her? Her formal name was Anne Maria, but, you know, she was referred to as Anne or Anna or, you know, it, it was very fluid. But, you know, I okay. just always call her Anne Maria. But so Anne Maria Scram, you know, had to pay for her own way. She could do that? I mean, she was, uh, they, they, she had money? <laughs> well, I, I don't know that she had money. Um, you know, Daniel was a stonemason. Um, but I think she probably got a lot of assistance from, like I said, her family and uh, friends and neighbors. Um, so they probably, you know, took donations and helped her with expenses. They certainly mm -hmm. probably helped her with caring for her young son because I I have no reason to believe that she took him south with her, um, you know, while she was volunteering. And she served probably for about eight months um, until she, her health just took a turn um, and she, she couldn't do it anymore. So uh, at the end of uh, probably eight months, she came home. And really? at that time, yeah, her husband, uh, Daniel, um, he was probably down there, you know, it's very possible that she was caring for him as well because he was wounded at the Battle of Antietam. His wounds, you know, he was convalescing in the, the hospital for a, a couple of months. Um, and at the end of December of 1862 was when he was discharged from the Army. Mm -hmm. Oh, he was discharged from the Army. He didn't go back into the war? No, no, he, he came home. And so she came home as well, mm -hmm. right? Correct, yeah. She may have been there a little bit longer than he was, um, but it wouldn't have been, they, they probably would have been coming home, you know, very close to around the same time. How did you find out about her? Uh, you know, it was very interesting. I, I saw an email that one of my colleagues, uh, another county historian, had, had put up on a, like a listserv, and there was reference to nurses who served in the Civil War, and 
they were identified by county. So, you know, I had never come across any nurses from Montgomery County or, or people who served as nurses. And I just kind of scrolled through just to see if someone popped up, and sure enough, her name popped up. So I said, geez, you know, I, I need to find out more about her because, you know, I've always I've always been intrigued with the Civil War ever since I was a little kid. You know, I, I first watched North and South on TV, mm-hmm. um, and it, it just fascinated me how, you know, the, the families were so torn apart. I had always, throughout my college career and, and, and even in as my position as county historian, you know, have researched the men that served. I'd never come across any woman who mm-hmm. served as a nurse. So that just prompted me to, to research more about her. I understand that she was the department president of the Association of Army Nurses. What was that? I think that was later on. She had served as with the the Women's Relief Corps and the uh, GAR post. She, she and Daniel um, served and they traveled extensively. And it said um, the research that I found is she was the national champ, national chaplain of the Army Nurses Association in 1902. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they went around the country. They you know went to GAR encampments and nurses conventions from the later 1880s into the early 1900s, and apparently she was very well known, you know, in that circle. So this was work, uh, and maybe volunteer, well, as was her nursing, volunteer work done after the war? Unfortunately, I don't know. I mean, Daniel, like I said, he, he had been a Mason, so he served in that capacity. You know, that's how he was employed, as a Mason. Um, but she pretty much as far as I can understand from census records, uh, she raised their children. So if she had done any nursing, um, you know, it was probably privately. Well, tell us uh, more about what you found out about her experiences during the war. You say she had served something like eight months uh, as a a nurse, and it says she served under doctors Mackenzie and Haynes. Who were they? Well, Charles Haynes uh, was someone that she served with. Uh, He was one of the the surgeons. Mackenzie, I'm, I'm not sure about who that is. There's not a lot of documentation on her, but later on in life, she actually wrote about her experiences. And it was like 1891. And it was just prior to the signing of the law where women were being granted uh, pensions for their service. From what I could find, it said that she set out to Burkittsville, Maryland, went to Frederick, Maryland, and Dr. Charles F. Haynes was um, from Brighton, Massachusetts, but there was a field hospital, and it was likely, it was outside of the city of Frederick, and it was likely at the Pry House, which was a residential home, and they they used the barn, and she just, you know, cared for her patient. And the article said that, you know, she received no compensation for her nursing duties, that she paid for her own boarding, and that she just, you know, over the course of eight months, you know, she was exposed to not only the wounded soldiers, but disease as well. So it could have been that she had gotten sick from, you know, a disease or just Mm -hmm. exhaustion. Uh, Women were working probably 14 hours a day, and they were doing duties such, you know, they were cooking, they were cleaning, um, they were, you know, feeding the soldiers, they were, you know, tending to their wounds, they were writing letters home 
you know, mm-hmm. for the soldiers. So they, they were providing comfort care as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the women, the women were responsible for, you know, when they ran out of supplies, they were trying to go to the local people and, you know, get sheets and um, food and whatever, whatever they could ascertain to use for supplies. She was serving, or the 10 months she served, was in Maryland, right? You said near Fredericksburg? The city of Frederick. As far as I know, that is the only location that she served. There is a pension application on file at the National Archives for her. Unfortunately, I was not able to get a copy of it because there was some difficulty with a name change that they have. Mm. I'm not really clear on on that, but I was hoping that her pension application would give a lot more detail and insight Mm. into her her service. And when was that 10 months? It was the battles of Antietam and South Mountain were were fought? Yeah, they they were fought in September of 1862. Yeah, she left from her home in Amsterdam, and it was before before um, the battles of South Mountain and Antietam. Uh, but I don't have a clear date on when she left Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And when she came back, she was sick, and we're really not sure how she was sick or what was her sickness. Correct, yeah. I mean, I, I just have found her on census records. You know, when she came back... Um, she was, in 1870, she was actually living with her mother in Fort Plain and her, her two children. Uh, Daniel, he had been off uh, finding work. He had done work up in Syracuse. He helped to build the Universalist Church in Middleville in Herkimer County. You know, she, she was staying for a period of time with her mother and raising her two children. And she is the first uh, woman from Montgomery, Fulton County that you've found who was a Civil War nurse, or uh, do we presume there were others, though? There very possibly could have been others. A lot of women did have a tendency to go follow their husbands or, you know, sons or, um, you know, and they served in the camps, cooking and, and doing cleaning for the army and and there could have been other women who volunteered down in the, in the hospital unfortunately we may not know their names unless there was documentation you know later on like with with Anne Maria she had uh, sent out this circular um, it was actually published with other nurses their their experiences and it precipitated like I said the legislation for the, the women to get pensions but uh, probably a lot of women you know, will remain nameless, unfortunately. Her or, That organization that she is involved in, Association of Army Nurses, she became quite well-known for, for doing that work? She, she traveled extensively, you know, advocating for nurses, and um, that she, yeah, she, she was very well-known. Like I said, she traveled from, you know, Niagara Falls to, um, you know, other states, when they had reunions or different organizational events. So she she and Daniel traveled what far and wide. And so he was involved in that also. Yes, from from what I understand, he was a part of the GAR post, uh, the clock post um, GAR, which was out of Fort Plain. And Daniel died at the soldier's home in Steuben County. 
Really? Yeah, because Anne Maria passed away first. You know, she died in 1911, and he died in 1915. Mm -hmm. Um, He had served, or I'm sorry, he suffered probably, you know, extensively extensively after the Civil War. He, I'm sure he probably had PTSD. He had attempted suicide. He he lost his eyesight. You know, it, it seems from everything that I can find that, you know, she kept him going, supporting them and, and keeping them going. And unfortunately, you know, they had, you know, setbacks with their family too because their son, you know, he had been an alcoholic. Uh-huh. You know, he had some difficulties with his own family. Their daughter, she died at the age of 36, but they did have, you know, some grandchildren. So, you know, they they did face really harsh realities after they came back from the war as well. You know, I, I she seemed to do she seemed to do okay, you know, she she got through everything that she faced. You you um, mentioned that they Moved to Fort Plain, and now I kind of forget why. Because her mother was there, was that? Yeah, her mother was living in Fort Plain. So they, after after they came back, they were in Amsterdam still in 1865. But by 1870, you know, five years later, they were living in Fort Plain with her mother, and they're both buried in Fort Plain Cemetery. They are. So mm-hmm. maybe we pres- can presume that they, I mean, despite their travels, that they stayed in Fort Plain. Yes. Yes. Yeah, they they were there for the duration of the later part of the 19th century. And, you know, I even found the location of their home, which is still there. But they eventually, you know, in their probably just a few years before they each uh, passed, they sold their home and lived in Albany for a very short time. And I'm assuming that their granddaughter... Uh, from from their daughter, I think she was living there at the time, so that that could be why they moved to mm-hmm. Albany, um, and that's where Anne Maria passed away in 1911. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'd like to find more about her. Uh, what about yeah. her descendants? Are there any people alive today? You know, her descent they probably are. I'm who are descendants sure there are. I have tried to trace, you know, her children's lines forward. Um, the only one, I do know that um, her son's son, so it would be her grandson, he moved on to like New Hartford, and that's where he passed away. Um, and he was still alive, and, well, he died, her grandson died in 1950, and so he had a son, uh, but I just haven't been able to find anything more. Anne-Marie's uh, husband, again, his name was David, is that? Daniel. Daniel, I'm sorry. Daniel, yeah. do, do you know why Daniel ended up in Steuben County at the soldier's home? A lot of Civil War veterans ended up there, and I would assume it's probably because, you know, he had medical issues and the family probably couldn't care for him. Before talking with you, I did do a little reading about Clara Barton, Mm-hmm. who also was a nurse during this Civil War. And, and she also provided, and it sounds like Anne Maria Scram did the same thing. I mean, Clara Barton is known for two things, you know, being a nurse, but also being the founder of the Red Cross, the American Red Cross. And she did that by, or she was led into that because she would provide supplies uh, for the soldiers and the needy uh, during the Civil War. And, and it sounds like Anne Maria did 
some of that, right? You brought from what I understand, the... yes. Um, you know, in fact, I, I don't know if you had come across it, but there was an interesting anecdote about Clara Barton when she also worked as a nurse um, at, at the Battle of Antietam. And one of the events, um, while she was caring for a wounded soldier, um, she was actually on the battlefield and... Um, a shot came through and a bullet pierced her sleeve and it actually went through her sleeve and killed the man that she was caring for. And on the same battlefield or the front lines really where she was, she apparently ran out of bandages and she found some corn husks and that's what she used to cover the wounds. You had to make do with what you had. Yeah, yeah. She was her, her own MacGyver of the day. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because, you know, like I said, there there really was no profession of nursing at that time. And then after the Civil War, it, it really seemed to come into its own. One thing that I think comes through in your uh, research and your talking about, about this is how serious all of this was. Um, you know, we hear, well, Civil War, you know, the North fights the South and this and that. But, I mean, this was... This was bad, and yeah. I mean the, the conflict. As all the wars since have been bad, and the wars before it, we, it's so hard to grasp just the, how uh, terrible it is. You know, when I was younger, there was always this romanticization of the Civil War, and when you start looking at, you know, the experiences that people faced. Um, it, it, there was no, nothing romantic about it. You know, it was horrific, um, you know, not only for the soldiers, but for the people who were caring for them and the people who were living right around um, where these battles were taking place. And it, it was just, I, I can't conceive what it would be. So it, it has been really an eye-opening piece of research for me. Where do you go next with this work? I mean, uh what are you looking on, on for Anne Maria? about Anne Maria? Yes, you know it's it's been a while since I have picked up the research for her. Um, I will probably be, you know because new documentation comes to light all the time. I will probably try to dig more into the pension application to see if I can, you know, reach the right person who can get me a, a copy of her her application. Maybe that will give more insight. And just to see, you know, what other records are out there that I was not able to get access to before. Is uh, In the documents you have seen, are there any that you know, kind of speaks in her own voice, uh, telling what happened when and so forth, or, or no? Well, that, that sketch that I, that I had mentioned before, it's called Our Army Nurses, Interesting Sketches and Photographs of over 100 of the noble women who served in hospitals and on the battlefields during our late Civil War. And that was compiled by Mary Gardner Holland. And she contacted women who had served as nurses, and they wrote their own experience down. And so, you know, some of the information, the fact that Anne Maria served under Dr. Charles Haynes, that came right from her. And she was so, writing about this in 1891, so, you know, almost 30 years after her experiences. Mm -hmm. 
So there is a section of that book or document that is Anne Marie Anne Maria Scram's memories. Yep, correct, correct. And there is even an image of her in that Uh, in that book, an illustration. You know, and she she was an attractive woman. I'm going to ask you that. You know, based on how we started out, and Dorothea Dix did not want attractive women. Yeah. So I I don't know how if she would have fit into those guidelines. You know, she was under the age of 30 at the time. You know, according to Dorothea Dix's guidelines, she wanted the women to be over the age of 30. And she wanted them to be, you know, very plain looking. And, and I, of course, you know, the image of Anne Maria is 30 years later, but I would imagine that she was probably an attractive young woman. Is there uh, anything else, we're, we're almost out of time, that uh, we haven't talked about that you'd like to bring up about Anne Maria Scram? You know, I just, I I have a lot of respect for her. She faced a lot of adversity, and, you know, being being um, near the front lines of battle must have been mind-shattering. You know, just the, the horrors that she probably saw and, and what she had to do just to provide, you know, some level of comfort for these men that that she didn't know. You know, maybe, maybe she knew some of them because maybe some of them had served with her husband, you know, had been from... Amsterdam. That just takes a lot of resolve, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, one, you know, just everything that she went through afterward. One thought that just occurred to me, would they have treated Southern soldiers? I'm sure there must have been some that uh, were treated across the line, but interestingly enough, there were, it, it seems like there were many more women on the northern side who served as nurses than there were on the southern side. Um, and and that could just be a matter of documentation. It just seems like the numbers were far fewer on the southern side. But I'm sure there were, you know, probably southern soldiers or, you know, Confederate soldiers that received some treatment. Without documentation, we can speculate. Anna Maria Scram, who was a nurse during the American Civil War. Kelly Yakabuchi Farquhar is the Montgomery County historian. She's been telling us about Anna Maria Scram, who cared for sick and wounded soldiers at the start of the American Civil War. Or you've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Kelly Farquhar, incidentally, was our first guest on the Historian's Podcast back in 2014. And she's appeared on the podcast several times, including her part in Cycling the Erie Canal, A Path Through History an audio tour of Montgomery County historic sites that's available through an app on Google Play or the Apple Store. It's put out by Travel Stories, a Wyoming-based company. The stories were compiled and edited by county historian Kelly Farquhar, and I was the narrator. Listeners can hear 35 historical vignettes while traveling the Erie Canal Way bike trail, which goes from St. Johnsville to Amsterdam. One of the stories is about National Historic Landmark Fort Clock, a stone structure in the town of St. Johnsville across the river from the bike trail. Johann Clock built the fortified home for his family in 1750. Fort Clock was important during both the French and Indian War and the American Revolution. 
the Revolutionary War Battle of Clocks Field, the last battle of a destructive 1780 Loyalist raid on the area, was fought just west of the fort itself. Loyalist was the term used to describe local residents who supported the British. The structure today is owned and operated by Fort Clock Historic Restoration, a group of dedicated citizens working to preserve that historic site. And the uh, app with the bicycle tour has other uh, sites of historic interest in Montgomery County. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.